0: All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucksters? What's happening? I'm Mark Maron. This is my podcast. How does it sound? I've got the new mixer. I got my old mixer crapped out. I've had that mixer forever. Ten years on that thing. I don't know what to do with it. I'm thinking about creating some sort of art piece. I'm thinking about mounting the old mixer on a board with the uh, original master locks from the old garage and maybe a picture yeah i'm going to create my own little small curated exhibit representing the the origin and history of this of this show and that would be that mixer and uh the locks on the garage and a picture that would be the whole exhibit uh i can't i you know it'd be easy to tour with um i'll write a nice information card for the exhibit and well, maybe I'll, maybe I can put some photos. There was a bunch of photos done of the old garage before I uh, I got out of there. So we tour with it, and I'll write one note card. I'm I'm not gonna. I know what it feels like to go to a museum, have to do a lot of reading uh, before the exhibit, the information that sets it up historically. I'll keep it real brief, one paragraph. Uh, there There was a garage, a lot of people came to it, we talked to them in there, it was filled with clutter, it got dusty sometimes, the president was here, uh, this was the lock on the door, the two locks, this was the original mixer that everybody who came into that garage spoke through, uh, enjoy the show. So Jane Fonda is here today, and that was daunting for me. It wasn't daunting, I mean it's always daunting when I talk to somebody who's had, um, A tremendous and full career. I mean, Jane Fonda was a movie star by the time I was born, really. And you kind of forget, maybe you don't. Maybe you're not like me or maybe you don't put it into context. Just what a fucking great actress she is. I mean, I went back and watched movies that I'd never seen before from the 60s. And just like astounding, I don't know when the last time you watched they shoot horses, don't they? I don't know when the last time you watched that was, but what a weird, insanely good movie! I actually talked to the producer of this movie of They Shoot Horses, Don't They? On Thursday, Erwin Winkler is going to be here, another guy that's had this fifty-year career, and it's uh, it's it just a little it's a little intense. So you know, I've got it an, an hour or so. Jane had other things to do, but I went back. I watched Coming Home. I watched uh, They Shoot Horses, Don't They? But I watched Clute, which I'd never seen before. and Maybe I saw it when I was a kid. And I'm an Alan J. Pakula fan. He did, I believe he did The Parallax View and he did uh, All the President's Men early on. But Clute, the way it's shot, the way it builds Donner, Donald Sutherland, Jane Fonda, just her acting is fucking astounding. And it's so beautiful the 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 print and the time it was made it was like must have been 19 I don't know I could probably find out exactly 1971 so it's one of those great early 70s movies but I could not believe you know what you know what I was witnessing in terms of you know what Jane Fonda was putting out there what it, it was a real honor to talk to her I'll, I'll talk talk to you about her a, a little more in a minute but I'll get you up to speed honestly I ran out of cashews and I, it, I, I might have eaten all of them. I mean, on the planet, I'm not sure there are any cashews left. And if there are, don't tell me. Maybe it's better off I don't know that there are more cashews because enough already. I think I'm getting, I'm getting doughy from the nuts. Yeah, doughy from the nuts is what I said. And I think that that's a T-shirt. No, doughy from the nuts. What does that mean? It. it It's very specific. It can only mean one thing when you think about it. But as a phrase, it travels. I think there's a poetry to it. But if you go to WTFPod.com, you can get on the mailing list. I do put some effort into uh, creating a a newsletter for you people every week. So if you want to get that, you can. You can also see my upcoming tour dates, which are still happening everything is still moving forward i have not shifted out of uh, my tour it's it's all happening i, I believe tickets are still are, are selling good i'm going to be in madison wisconsin may 23rd through geez the 25th i'm going to be in vermont uh, that's sold out june 6th through 8th i'm going to be in st louis most likely june uh, 13th through 15th i don't got a lot of people in st louis and i know that Raleigh, North Carolina, August 1st through August 3rd, Revolution in Oh, Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon on August 9th is sold out. We added a second show on uh, August 10th. Still tickets for that. Majestic Theater in Dallas, August 22nd, Paramount Theater in Austin, August 23rd, uh, Wortham Center in Houston, August 24th, Vogue Theater in Vancouver, September 6th, Moore Theater in Seattle, September 7th, The Vic in Chicago, September 20th, Masonic Temple in Detroit, September 21, Pantages, Minneapolis, September 22nd, where I tape my last special, The Miriam Theater in Philly, October 10th, The Kennedy Center in D.C., uh, October 11th, The Schubert in Boston, Massachusetts, October 12th, for two shows and a special taping, the James K. Polk in Nashville on the October 18th, that's the October 18th, yeah I did say that. The Tabernacle in Atlanta on October 19th, the Masonic in October 26th uh, in San Francisco, and then I will retire. There is a Toronto date coming. I can't announce it yet. The tickets aren't on sale because it's in collusion. Is that it? Is that the is that the hot word? I'm colluding with Toronto with a festival in order to do the show. So I don't have the date on that yet. A little update about my state of mind. A little better. I I I'm stubborn, folks. Uh, I'm a stubborn old man, and I've had enough of it. In a lot of ways, Uh, a lot of it is really just that simple. It's just stubbornness. Like, why don't I meditate? I don't know, because it's silly. Why, you know, people are now getting on me about the definition of mindful. Why am I not really activating mindfulness? I don't know, because it's like just it's sort of like trendy. Why, why am I not, uh, yeah, I definitely exercise, I eat pretty well, cashews, man, so many fucking cashews, now I got a bag of fucking almonds down there, I'm buying dates because I'm making my own almond milk, I put the dates in, and then I eat 90 of them, I'll buy a, a box of dates, you know, from Trader Joe's, and I'm, I don't know who I think I'm fooling, i am like, I'm not really eating these, why are they gone in three days, why am I doughy from nuts and dates, yeah, Why? But, uh, but yeah, I'm going to, I started therapy the other day. We're going to do uh, some EMDR therapy again. That's a thing where, you know, it, 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 it kind of like scrambles your brain a little bit so you can get right in there to the amygdala, am, 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 how do you, how do you say it? Amigdiglia, the amygdala, the diglia do, the, the digla do, uh, in the brain. And it gets right in between uh, your trauma and your uh behavior and it kind of scrambles it up a little bit and kind of pulls the link out something like that but you got to hold sensors and they buzz and you're like come on man what was I born yesterday huh where was this 10 years ago what is this with the buzzers what am I dumb is this a what am I is this a Scientology stress test where we at with this come on are these cans these are just cans hooked to wires but it uh, apparently has been quite successful with uh, post-traumatic stress and whatnot so I'm I'm doing a little of that. We'll see how it goes. Some part of me just doesn't believe I deserve to be doing well. I don't deserve to succeed. Some part of me, where can I, can we Can we shift the, uh, can we blur the link between that belief and the reality? Or just like, can we just excise that particular piece of uh, malignant perception, self-perception? Can we mindfully rip that out of my fucking brain, people? Can we do that? Not complaining, the world is ending. Uh, you know, we're doing all right. Some of us it's fucking anti Semites, man. Seriously. Stay strong, Jews. Jesus Christ. This president has really opened a portal to hell. And we're living in it. But you know, I'm I'm gonna try to be mindful going to try to meditate a little bit, going to do the EMDR, going to reconfigure my brain and do the best I can. That's the thing. When you get overwhelmed, what can you do? I I can eat a lot of cashews, apparently. Comedy's been all right. I was at the uh, comedy store all weekend, uh, tightening up some things. You know, I go on the road. I do the hour and a half, hour 45s. I go to the comedy store. I do the 15 minutes, you know, and I try to tighten up some things. It, it's weird, man. It's it's weird what I do. Sometimes someone will give me some advice, maybe kind of reconfigure a joke a little bit. Neil Brennan. Neil Brennan is always reliable for <laughs> the, <laughs> the tight joke advice. Comes up to me. it's like, well, why don't you try it like this? And I'm like, yeah, my first thing. Here's the thing about me in general is that my first reaction, and I know you might not know this about me, but generally if somebody suggests something, my innate Immediate reaction is like I don't know, I, no, no, why no? But but I deeper, I'm sort of like, really, you think that would make it better? But I still like, how? Why does it take me two fucking steps to just go like, okay, uh, I I will embrace that idea and see if it works for me? As opposed to like, wrong. Who are you? What? Stop it. But yeah, it was it's it's kind of fun. Like now that I'm I'm sort of see my hour of material evolving and coming together to kind of like you know, tighten it up and and think through some things, try some new stuff, take some new risks. My brain's been kind of fucked up all weekend. I read this new, I read a book, man. Devastating book that's not out yet. Maybe I should talk to her. Eve Ensler, uh, she wrote the Vagina Monologues and several other books, has written a book called The Apology, which will be out I think it'll be out next month. I got some sort of uh, press advance copy. And wow, just fucking devastating, deep, horrible, uh, you know, painful, cathartic investigation of the most of the worst type of toxic masculinity on a personal level, her father. And I don't want to go into it because maybe maybe I'll, I'll, I'll talk to her. But uh, what a, what a, that, that's a brave book. That's a courageous undertaking. How she structured this book as a posthumous, almost stream of consciousness apology from her father that abused her in every way. And he's writing from limbo. Um, And it's like the, the, the sort of investigation and process of true evil with applied empathy Without apologizing or without letting anybody off the hook, was just devastating and haunting, and it was a, it was one of the most powerful things I've read. So maybe we'll I'll talk to her if I can if I can do that. It's a little it's, it's it's sometimes it's hard, man. Jane Fonda was not hard. Jane Fonda is one of the great actors actresses I say actor in a general sense of of all time, and and oddly, she's about my mom's age. And she's built like my mom. So there was this, I had this, when she came to the house, I had this immediate kind of, she, she actually walks like my mother and they they kind of look a little similar. And it was just, I had this very strange, innate connection just around her physicality and the way she moved was like my mom. But uh, but I was I was, you know, I was really honored to talk to her. I mean, you'll see, you'll see. Oh, man. I hope that there's no more cashews. I really do. I really do. Now, okay, so let's let's enter this Jane Fonda thing. As I said, it was a little a little daunting because of the arc of her career, because of the time we had together. But uh, it it was a real honor talking to her. Uh, All five seasons of Jane's series with Lily Tomlin, Grace and Frankie are now streaming on Netflix. They've been renewed for a sixth season so catch up on those early seasons now if you want also go look at some of her early films i mean just go watch yeah a lot of like coming home uh clute uh china syndrome was a big one on golden palm with her father like she just just great so this is me talking to jane fonda So I'm very excited you're here. I, I guess you're not going to wear headphones. Oh, you got TV to do, right?
1: Uh, the or no? Bailey Center. Is
0: that a that's a live thing? Yeah. Yeah, and it's a panel. Yeah. For uh, for Grace and Frankie. Right. Yeah. So that's so like, have you stayed in touch with Lily, Lily Tomlin like for since forever? Have you guys always been friends?
1: We became friends in 1979. Oh yeah. When I was developing nine to five. Right.
0: And you stayed friends,
1: and we've stayed friends. Yeah, we so, support each other's issues, and
0: yeah. And do you like do you socialize? I always wonder that because I was, you, you know, I watched the documentary about you. Mm-hmm. You're, it's like it's hard to you, you know to sort of wrap my brain around uh, you know Jane Fonda as a uh, cultural momentum figure, you know. <laughs> <And> <laughs> <Me it's>, too, because <laughs> <yeah. laughs> you know you want to have a conversation, but there's so much.
1: No, Lily and I. Yeah. Uh, we socialize mindlessly, right? Like I finally, in my in my dotage, now yeah. I have a house for just me. Yeah. And there is somebody who takes care of the house and cooks. Yeah, so I can have dinner parties. Right. So, for example, I think the last time Lily and her partner Jane came over, it was a dinner for Judy Chicago. Oh yeah, who they also had met years and years ago. Sure. So, you know, that's a fun kind of gathering. Yeah, you know or um, the, the, the theater critic, um, Hilton Isles from, yeah. the, from The New Yorker, he came. Jane and Lily came over to dinner. So, I I have them come over. They never invite me to their house. (laughs) The last time I was in their house was my... See, my dog was about five months old. She's now 14. So, that's a long time ago. And then... You know, I spent a lot of time, in fact, the last two years in Michigan working on one fair wage yeah. for restaurant workers. Yeah. Tip workers don't get a minimum wage; they 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 earn a lot less, and then they're expected to live on tips. Right. So, we're we're with an organization called Restaurant Opportunity Centers. Um, we're, we've been working all over the country to change that and have one fair wage. One reason to do that is because. In the seven states that have one fair wage, sexual harassment is cut in half. But and so Lily gives me my street cred because she comes from Detroit, yeah. and she was a waitress there. Yeah. And so yeah. I dragged her to Michigan on on you know for weeks at a time.
0: Yeah, and that's and, and that, so when you say you do that, like what what exactly when you when you go to do that work, what is, do we do? Well, is it the same as all? Is it organizing? Is it? It's organizing. It, yeah,
1: yeah. I'm on the board of yeah. Restaurant Opportunity Centers, and we, so when Lily comes, um, we travel around the state, yeah, and we raise money in each place, yeah, Grand Rapids, Kalamazoo, Lansing, wherever, yeah. and and in people's homes, sure. You you just go. You just show up. Yeah, we just go. We show up. Jane Bond is in my house. And Lily Tomlin. Yeah. You know, Grace and Frank. A lot of support for Grace and Frankie. I tell you what, it's a lot easier to do this when you have a hit series. Yeah. Yeah. Then we do media. We we do radio. We do Sinclair, is really wherever. We do television to talk about it. was a ballot initiative. You go on Sinclair? Yeah. Yeah?
0: Yeah. Because I think, aren't they uh, kind of the bad guys? Well,
1: Here's the th- the local people, you right, know the right. versions of you sure. in, in Kalamazoo sure. or Grand Rapids yeah. who are uh, uh, you know journalists for television journalists for yeah. Sinclair, they're not rabid right. ideo- ideologues, ideologues. Yeah. Um, but sometimes they get you know demands from on high to say certain things yeah but because um, I asked them about it yeah. you know but our our experience with it has been okay.
0: No, if we can go back to like uh, the the, you, I I was just kind of looking at the overview of, of of what you achieved, and then I watched a documentary, and then for some reason, you know, I di- I realized I'd never seen they shoot horses, don't they? Oh,
1: that's a good one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And it seems that like culturally, you know, politically, culturally, and and within the movie business, that your life is sort of is is signposts of how all of it's evolved. Of the
1: zeitgeist, yeah. Right.
0: That, that, you know, I mean, you were in Kapaloo, and five years later, the entire industry changed, right? I mean, then all of a sudden you're shooting movies with, uh, you know, uh, with Ashby and, and, and with Pollock and stuff. And and then, like, on top of that, you know, in the the documentary, you talk about how you realized your own authenticity so late in life. Yeah. Now, when you look back on it, because now as an activist, like, you're doing this thing with the restaurant workers, but you'll apply your your energy to any, you know, cause that you believe in, however is necessary. Mm -hmm. So when you think about what compelled you initially... Was it when you because you're very self-aware and you've obviously done a Vietnam War right but like you know uh, but do you find when you when you think about the pushback on the generation your father came from that it was also emotional yeah that your father represented something of an old guard and that you know that tension was created uh, with your activism.
1: One of the sad things about yeah. that period, and it wasn't just the Vietnam War, it was the whole counterculture thing. Was what happened in individual within individual families yeah. all across the country. Sure. Yeah. Right. Everywhere. Yeah. And uh, the Vietnam War only exacerbated that, you know. And I I understood that my dad my dad was very opposed to the war. Yeah. Um. But his way of expressing it was to campaign for Lyndon Johnson.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: And you know guys that he would campaign the guys they were always guys and 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 white guys yeah. and then um of course the war never ended <laughs> that yeah. way but it was a it was a, a generational thing coupled with the problem just talking about him in relation to the Vietnam war the war that he fought and the wars that he understood were yeah. wars where you knew who was an enemy combatant? Yeah, they were in uniforms, sure. and there were battle fronts. Yeah,
0: lines drawn. Lines
1: drawn. Yeah. Suddenly, there's a war where the woman bringing you laundry could very well have a hand grenade, right? And you know, where you, you know a war where the basic people are against you. Yeah. That's a whole different thing and it was very hard for him to wrap his head around that. Yeah. So it caused friction between us but I never really got mad at him. He you know, I remember in 70 I went to I think it was 70 I went to visit Angela Davis. She was in prison here in California and when I got back he said to me if if I find out that you're a communist I'm going to turn you in. Yeah. And that you know that, I've never been ideological. I wasn't a communist, but I loved Angela Davis. But he was very confused. You know, he he just, and he worried about me. He lived yeah. through the the McCarthy era.
0: Yeah, right. And
1: so, and and so he was worried that that I was going to get hurt.
0: So he had a fundamental belief, just by nature, and being in the way he was brought up in the system itself.
1: Yeah, he was a moderate Democrat. Yeah. yeah. Felt very passionately about things. I mean, he, you know, he would go out. He, you know, he campaigned for a year for Stevenson.
0: I think what really related to me and what moved me was the the emotional um, uh, result of being brought up by narcissistic parents and parents with mental you know problems. Because mm-hmm. I have it, and and like what I do, I, I do, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And what I identified with was that that strange kind of missing chunk of self that you have to somehow put together mm-hmm. over time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and you have I,
1: to become your own parent.
0: Yeah, and the parent you put in place, initially, is never that great. <laughs> like, like, I read this thing, <laughs> you, you know, like the reaction, the thing that blew my mind, I read this thing by Robert Firestone, a, a psychologist, he said that if, if your parents, if you're not getting what you need from your parents, you, at, when you're young, you automatically assume it's your fault. Yeah, Right, so the parent you put in place to replace them is the one that's going. You're terrible. You're a piece of shit, and mm-hmm. and that's what drives you. Yeah. Now, did you find that for yourself? Yeah. Yeah. You, did you?
1: I thought that I was a worthless human being, and it was very interesting how I dealt with it. Yeah. I was ashamed of myself. Yeah. I wasn't proud of the life that I was living, so I thought if I pretend to be generous. Yeah. Maybe eventually I will become generous if I pretend to have a spine. Yeah. Maybe I will become brave. I mean and you do you become what you do. In a yeah. way I fake it till you make it.
0: Yeah, for sure and you just knew that instinctively.
1: I just I thought, I don't know what else to do. I, I just, I don't like myself, so I'm going to pretend to be a better person. And I started to become a better person. And right. that began then to conflict with the life that I was living. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, you know, all along the way, you have choices. Well, do I continue living the life I'm living, or do I try to proceed with trying to get better and be better?
0: Right. And when and I chose the latter. Yeah, but it took a while, right?
1: Yeah, sixty years. How many years? <laughs> no, it does. It takes a long time. I mean, you're always essentially the same person. Right. That's why writing my memoir was such an important thing, and really, yeah. the documentary was just a v- filmed version of my, right. of my of my memoir. You know, when you write a memoir, if you really dig down yeah. and really take the time, you realize. You know, it's kind of what T. S. Eliot said in the Quartet poem. You, you, I'm paraphrasing. You spend your life exploring, and at the end of all the exploration, you're back where you start. You circle back where you started and know it for the first time. Right. And what I realized at the age of 63, 4, 5, and writing yeah. my memoir is that I had started out decent. Yeah. And brave.
0: Yeah, because you were on your own in a way
1: yeah and 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 then for girls you know the problems start at puberty where you just want to fit in and be skinny and all those kind of things but basically i was working my way around to come back to where i started only with more knowledge and stuff and acceptance
0: of your past self
1: yeah you have to forgive yeah you have to forgive everybody including yourself (laughs)
0: yeah yeah that's hard isn't it?
1: It's essential, but it, yeah, it is hard. It is hard. And you can't do it until you really examine, you know, what I'm, I'm, I'm one of those typical liberals. Uh-huh. Who I always, you know, the perpetrator, but look what was done to him.
0: Right, right, right. You know,
1: so I'm, I always tend to want to forgive.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I think it's interesting too that, that acting as if because when you when you have parents that aren't, you know, fundamentally nurturing that there's a lack of like the, the inability to receive or give love in you know, second nature. You know, you do have to try until it sticks, yeah, right?
1: Yeah. The you know, the, the the one thing that I realize now at the age of eighty one and a half, you yeah. start to count halves when you get older, like you do when you're young. <laughs> yeah. Um is uh the one thing that I could never f- totally fix yeah. is my ability to be in a relationship yeah. with the, the opposite sex. You know, I that's the one area. I mean, I've I've kind of healed in 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 a lot of different ways, but I'm just not good in relationships.
0: Where, where does it uh, like the like? I find that I hit a wall where where I can't get over it. Do you like what is it that were that? Because, I mean, you've been like, I guess, in the memoir and, and the documentary, you did find yourself living in relationship to a lot of different men, mm-hmm. you know, and in that, a
1: lot of very, very strong men. Yeah.
0: yeah. And who do you think that started with after your father? Was it Strasburg?
1: No, it was Vadim.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, the marriages. But, like, yeah. I mean, it seemed like Lee Strasburg was a pretty important force in your life.
1: Uh, not really.
0: No, no. Did he teach you how to act, though?
1: Not really. <laughs> no.
0: It just came. I was
1: too fucked up <laughs> to learn anything. <laughs> At that time? I mean, I rem- what he did for me was yeah. he said, you have talent.
0: Yeah. And, and that was and it. And then it
1: all happened way too quick. Yeah. Because I never really learned how to work. Right. Um, I've only started learning lately.
0: How to work? How to do the work. R- what were you doing before? Trying. Yeah.
1: And sometimes it worked really well. When you accept to become another person, yeah. there are levels that you can stop at. Right. I didn't always know how to go really deep. I didn't know the questions to ask, uh-huh. the tools He did not, Lee didn't teach me what I needed to know there. Yeah. You know, in a way, I wish that I'd studied in England and... Classical training. In a different kind of training. Right. In a way. But, you know, for the movies where I really did do well... Yeah. You know, coming home, because I had spent three years talking... To the people whose lives had been impacted by the war, the wives of soldiers who, who went away, yeah. one person and came back quite different. Right. You know, there was the wife that said, "You know, I talk to him, and I feel like my voice goes down into an empty barrel and just echoes. Oh. There's nobody there." You yeah. know, I I knew that story, yeah. And so that's what allowed me to play that character yeah. the way I did. Clute. Clute was like they shoot horses don't they i yeah. just went i just said fuck it i'm going to i'm going to i'm just going to go and go as deep as i can yeah. and 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 take the things that i know to be true about myself and apply them to this character and it worked yeah i really kind of entered those people
0: so that was a, a darkness yeah yeah yeah
1: and, and shoot they shoot horses yeah too. yeah but um you know that's just not always the case yeah but now you know yeah. now i'm i'm i have a coach yeah who's basically teaching me how to do the work right And so what that I'm 80? So, you know, who cares? But also you've never too late.
0: You've taken those risks, though. You've you've gone that deep with yourself. So, you know, you have that ability to do that. Right. Right. So it's accessible. It's not a threat anymore. I imagine early on it must have been frightening on some level. No, no, no.
1: It would have been frightening for my dad. That's why he hated so much that I went to acting class (laughs) with Lee. You know, just like, you know. Acting class, church, therapy, all those things. Yeah. Hated them, hated them. Oh, really? Them. Yeah, because it required you to look into yourself. Mm. And for, it's not my dad's fault, it was the way he was raised, and it was a certain generation of right. men, especially yeah. from the Midwest. It was weakness. Oh. It showed weakness. Oh, right, right. Crutches. Yeah, They're yeah. all crutches. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and it, I never was that way. It, it's just that I never had. There were just certain roles that allowed me to do that and beckoned me. Yeah, in ways that you know. It's
0: it was it's it's so amazing to watch you in anything because you know it, it's like in in they shoot horses. You're. I and mean, but there was a lot of you know actors that were doing great work at that time. But the difference between something like some of the more Hollywood movies of an earlier time that that really didn't offer you a window or a portal to go that deep. Now all of a sudden the 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 sort of art of it breaks open and like it was it's so visceral and so like immediately moving
1: well you know i was basically a very unhappy person <laughs> 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 who happened to have done barbarella right before <laughs> that was the film i did prior to they shoot yeah. horses don't they and so people sort of thought of me as that person but you know they shoot horses i was coming more back to myself right you right know, i was kind of a dark person i've actually overcome that yeah it seems but, good but, it seems but like it. um you know it, it wasn't difficult for me to do it and, like, okay, so,
0: we're like, getting back to the, the these men and being in relation to men and what you learned and where it stops, I mean, ugh, it- I
1: just, I was trained from the get-go to give it up Yeah, for men, you know, just to give over. And I just can't hold my own. I, I just can't. Yeah. I, I you know... I, now I know that, and so I'm not going to be in a relationship again because I don't want to give myself over.
0: Right, because the yeah, like yeah, the the boundaries. I lose myself. Right, right. Yeah. My I, boundaries
1: are so I'm a, I'm a colander. Yeah. When I'm in a relationship, with, you know, full sexual relationship yeah. with a man. Yeah, I you know it, it's
0: it's 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 weird when that, when that happens because like you you know, it can go on for years, right, and then all of a sudden yeah. you look at yourself and you're like, when you get a year away from it, you're like, what the fuck was that?
1: Well, you how know, did, somebody asked me the other day, you know, how do you know it's not working? And I said, okay. well, when the time starts to come, it's usually about four years from the end, when I start to fantasize their death. <laughs> that's, wait, well, and that's the truth.
0: Uh-huh. Well, it's better it's better you're fantasizing theirs. And, and after you're... three
1: marriages, I real, there's a pattern here.
0: Uh-huh. And you're not fantasizing your own, which is better.
1: No, no. I mean, yeah. I still live. Yeah. And then I get to do what I want to do. <laughs> that and that's the that is the core of the of
0: your feminism, really. You're not fantasizing that you're the victim. Right. They're the ones that got to go. Yeah. <laughs> so what did you like? I imagine looking back on it, like with Vadim and uh, with Hayden and with Turner, that. Yeah, you know, there were definitely lessons learned that made you a stronger person, right? And, yeah, and and not just by tolerating them, but by what they had to offer. Oh,
1: listen, I do not regret those three marriages. Yeah, they were, they were utterly fascinating men, and I learned a huge amount from all of them. Um, How's your sp- French still? I'm fluent. Still, yeah. And I'm, and interestingly enough, I'm always I. The wife after me, Vadim's wife yeah. after me, we're like this. We are so close. Oh really? Oh yeah. We just spent a week together in Lyon at a film festival. We're very, very close. Tom's wife after me, Barbara. Yeah. We're so close. Interesting. Um I see her all the time. Really? And we love each other, yeah.
0: How did those relationships evolve?
1: They they all had good taste. In women. <laughs> and 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 Yeah. I don't know. I mean they're interesting women. Yeah. And, and uh
0: and it's just like, did they reach out to you? How does a relationship no, like that happen? Uh, like, can we can we go over our experience or
1: just? It's too personal. I don't okay. want to. I don't want to talk about it. But Barbara and I just found a kinship. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of things in common, and uh-huh. then there's the son. Yeah, there's they. Tom and Barbara had a son. Yeah. And Tom was always worried that this son wouldn't know exactly where he fit in. So I feel a real... Responsibility to keep a family unit together, yeah, including Barbara and Liam, right? And uh, that's nice. Liam is the age of my grandson. Yeah, but that's okay. Yeah, he's my forty-five-year-old son's brother, yeah. but he's the age of my grandson. I mean, it's interesting. But these are these are the families of today, right? Sure, sure. And you can. I just sort of know instinctively that when when the end comes and it's not that far off, no. you know, it could be 20 years but maybe not. Right. But that when the end comes I'm going to want to know that I kept us all together.
0: And when did that like when did that impulse start?
1: When I was when I when I saw my father die.
0: Uh, yeah.
1: And I knew that he was full of regrets. Uh. That he wasn't able to, to do the forgiving yeah. to do the the facing up yeah. and and the apologizing mm-hmm. and the listening and the things that need that need to be said before it's too late when you can no longer talk yeah and it's always the things you don't do that right. you regret at the end i just know that and yeah. um you know so I'm fortunate enough to not be afraid of dying. I'm really afraid of dying with regrets. So I've, you know, the big epiphany for me when I hit 60 and knew that it was probably my last act yeah. and the importance of last act that I had to, I've got to spend this remaining time figuring out what my regrets would be. Yeah. You can't be 81 and say, oh, my God, I better start getting my life together. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you, you know, I can't. Yeah. I can't make my life lo- longer, but I can make it wider and deeper, and I have to start doing that now. I said at sixty. At sixty. Yes, and I deliberately did. That's why I wrote my memoir.
0: Yeah, and what went in 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 terms of looking back on those struggles, you know, there, you know, with, there was the codependency, right, and the pressure of show business, and you know, when did the eating disorder start? Start? Yeah.
1: Oh my God, fourteen oh, in yeah. boarding school, girl, uh, all girls boarding school. Yeah. Um, my best friend had been doing it and told me about it, and I swear I thought only that the two of us were the only people besides the Romans. Right. Because when we studied Roman history, yeah. we discovered that, that the Romans used to do that binge and purge. Was it? it was it for for body image yes. reasons? it was totally. I didn't realize, of course, that that a lot of people with body images yeah. don't resort to that. Right. That it's that it's. I think that it. You see, we're we're like chalices, all of us, right? And that chalice in the center of us, at our chi, you know, our solar plexus, needs to be full. Yeah. um, Ideally, full of spirit. Yeah. Of at oneness with others and with. Everything. Right, right, With love and mm. compassion and mm. forgiveness and a, and a sense of authenticity. That's yeah. what we're supposed to be filled with. If we're empty, yeah. we're going to fill it with, depending on who we are, booze, drugs, yeah. sex, yeah. workaholism, yeah. food, whatever. And mine was empty, and I was filling it with food. And I only was able to stop when I began to fill it with authenticity. Yeah. And uh, so that was a long time.
0: Yeah? What age did you really start to kick it?
1: I went cold turkey, and I wasn't authentic yet, but I was dying. And so I just went cold turkey at about 45.
0: It took a long time. Mm -hmm.
1: And it's impossible to have a a true relationship if you are an addict of any kind. You can't. Until ever? or No, you can't. As yeah. long as you are an active oh, addict, active act. right. you can't have a real relationship. Not yeah. a real one. Right. Not an authentic relationship. Right. And um,
0: Why do you think that is?
1: Because you can never show up totally because you mm. have this addiction yeah. that always becomes the most important thing. Yeah. And uh, essentially you have to hide the addiction so you're also lying and being inauthentic. Right. And... Uh, but I stopped before I started the workout.
0: Well, that, that was the other thing that I didn't realize because I didn't know the nuances of your life that you know, having you know, been through you know, protesting the Vietnam War and, and, and the other you know, activism you were doing, which took you know, insane courage and you took a lot of hits for it and it seems like the, the next or, or even the third generation of the people that were originally tearing you down are now still doing it. You're still an example of some kind to of that ilk, and uh, and that I didn't realize that when you were married to Hayden, that the workout video was actually to, to fund, fund activism.
1: It was to fund the campaign for economic democracy. When the war ended, we yeah. began to focus on the economy. Yeah, which. This is I'm talking in the in the late 70s because yeah. I actually it didn't become famous until the 80s but I actually started the workout around 78 uh-huh. and and um, that was when it was becoming increasingly apparent the 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 corporate takeover of everything yeah sure <laughs> um, and and so that that's what we wanted to take on. You know, the notion of economic democracy and it was a statewide effort. Yeah. And California's a big state and there was a recession. Yeah. And I didn't know what to do because I was the main fundraiser. And I read that remember Lyndon LaRouche? Sure. The guy that paid people to hold terrible signs up at the airport. Yeah. <laughs>
0: the LaRouchies. They're not around it really anymore. There's something worse here now.
1: <laughs> he funded the whole operation from a business, his computer business. Yeah. And I thought I got to start a business. Yeah,
0: right, yeah. And
1: it turned out to be the workout.
0: But you you know what I thought was amazing about that moment is that you know, moving from, you know, the other type of acti- activism you were doing and then trying to fund this is that the direct personal engagement of I think primarily women with the empowerment that was available through just that workout video which is e- easily to, it's easy to make fun of or trivialize on some level but it was you felt it immediately
1: that there were women that needed that connection yeah. to take hold of their lives. Yeah, it's very interesting. Because Tom did not like the workout, even though it funded the organization, he did not like it. he felt it was a vanity project and um
0: was that the beginning of the end of that
1: it was it was the beginning of the end of our marriage in that's a what way. I mean yeah um j- just the things i was doing were things that didn't it didn't feel comfortable for him uh-huh. but before i actually opened the workout i was yeah. teaching it in places like when i was in in st george utah making electric horsemen. Yeah, and every night after we worked I, people would come and, and i would teach the workout huh. and they would come from miles away yeah. and they were not all women but mostly women but yeah. also members of the crew and right. and they would come up to me after a few weeks and say I don't have to take sleeping pills anymore. Uh-huh. I don't have to take insulin anymore. Uh-huh. Stuff like that. And then I would start getting letters once it became, you know, I put out the videos yeah. and the records. And, pe- you know, one woman said to me, I was able to stand up to my boss for the first time today. Right. And that, and then I began to realize, oh, <laughs> I knew that this is much more than just being thin. It's, uh, but you didn't know it initially. Well, I knew how it made me feel. Sure. But it never, I wasn't, a, I, I didn't think this is going to empower women right. when I started. Right. I was just, I was, I. The guy, you remember Delancey Street? Well, Delancey Street still exists. John Mayer, who started Delancey Street, yeah. was a close friend of mine in Tom's. Yeah. And we told him, I said, I'm trying to raise to start a business to run the campaign for economic democracy, and he said, Never go into a business you don't understand. Uh huh. Well, that seriously narrowed my <laughs> options because exercise <laughs> was really the only business i understood <laughs> right and, and it, i had been necessary. exercising forever and, and so i that's what i did
0: uh-huh and and look what happened it's amazing because i mean i didn't realize it i mean you really made exercise videos for decades yeah and they kept... And they made
1: 23 of them, yeah.
0: And and you you know, sort of, uh, like, without knowing, it started that business you know, for everybody. The vi- It the,
1: started the video business. That's why I'm the only non-engineer, non-scientist in the Video Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> and, and I thought, like, the other thing that I thought was interesting is that when you were making these movies with these guys, you know, in the 70s and the late 60s, which were, you know, socially relevant movies, meant to have a message or meant to, you know, push the envelope either artistically or otherwise, philosophically some politically that um that they were they were kind of some of them were kind of out there and that what i I thought was interesting in terms of your evolution as a producer was that you were able to come back and create narrative film that was appealing to you you know regular people that didn't require uh you know some sort of like you know uh, deeper understanding of art that still had a powerful social message and and how how Like, conscious were you of that transition?
1: Well, I was very conscious that if I'm going to make a movie about um, soldiers that have fought in Vietnam, there has to be—it has to be— Something that someone would want to see even if they didn't agree with the war was wrong.
0: Okay, right. So,
1: a sexy, sexy love story. Yeah. And at the time, that love scene was probably the sexiest love scene that had ever been shot. Right. Um, If we're going to make a movie about...
0: This is coming home.
1: That's coming home. If we're going to make a movie about nuclear energy, it's got to be a thriller. Right. If I'm going to make a movie, I, you know, my one of my close friends was organizing women office workers, Karen yeah. Nussbaum. And, you know, I decided I wanted to make a movie about it, that it would have to be a comedy.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah, right. You know,
1: so, you, you always have to cloak it in a style that's going to be appealing to people, even if they don't care about the issues. Were
0: you frustrated with, with, with some of the movies that were made, you know, in the 70s that were more oblique? Such so as if Arthur Penn does, you know, little big man as a response to Vietnam on some level as a metaphor that, you know, the move away from, you know, metaphors that are confusing to like, this is what's happening seem to be like a decisive thing. Does that make sense? Or It I does make vague? sense,
1: but I frankly had never thought about it.
0: <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know because there was like they like you know the the people that you work with uh, P- is it Pat Pekula, is that how you say his mm-hmm. name and uh, Ashby and even like people like you know Joseph Losey who I didn't realize that you worked with he he was a, a big activist and like you know paid the price for it but you know these guys were you know big intellectual artistic dudes and I be, I think Ashby made very accessible movies though yeah yeah, yeah for totally sure. you know and, and, and but it seemed like they were artists. That yes. were that like for a lot of reasons were, you know, sometimes, you know, consumed with the art of film to, to some degree without, uh, you know, wanting to get everybody on board.
1: Right and you know there was a certain friction yeah. there was a lot of friction between me and Lozi. Yeah. Because he he was a lefty but he was not a feminist and it's a feminist
0: movie.
1: Uh-huh. And af- uh, Delphine Seyrig and myself really objected to his rewrite of the script and had a lot of f- friction fighting? fighting with him yeah it was not a good experience. And um
0: and with Ashby how much of input did you
1: have in that? In incoming, well, home. I had a lot. I mean, it was the the concept was my idea, okay, yeah, because of what I'd heard Ron Kovic say at rallies. yeah, I may have lost my mind. I may have lost my body, but I've gained my mind. Does it surprise
0: you like now, you know the the direction because I don't know people personally, and I build a relationship with you, people, you know, from your roles Does it surprise you like that John Voigt has gone so far the other direction? Uh-huh, it does, yeah
1: because yeah, he wasn't not at all no he was one of tom's and my biggest supporters and you know he would rally his hollywood friends to come and see tom's slideshows uh-huh. he was my closest friend in hollywood oh and it, it, and i don't know why this has happened mm,
0: have you talked to him
1: um about oh maybe in 2006 uh huh was the last time that I really, he called me on the phone and started talking about the war in totally terms that I just couldn't relate to, and he wouldn't stop, and I hung up. Oh, wow. It makes me so sad. It's very
0: strange because the phenomenon of that now, uh, like realizing, you know, somebody who's done enough self-examination and fought the fights that you have, it has to be surprising as it is to me just how malleable people's minds are you know, when they need closure or when they're afraid or when they're angry. And like, it seems that a lot of what's happening today with a good chunk of the population is irreparable in terms of their point of view. on It's not
1: there. irreparable and it's not a good chunk. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I, I think it's, it's, there is a chunk and yeah. it's not a big chunk right. that is irreparable, I think. Right. But there is another influx piece of the puzzle Mm -hmm. that's a piece that interests me a lot which is the middle america the scared the feeling forgotten and unseen working class that used to have unions right kind of helping to define their perspective on things and don't anymore who voted for Obama and then Trump, I think we cannot leave that fuzzy gray area out. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we can win, we. I don't know if democracy can win without them. Yeah, But even if we can morally, I don't think— that we can forget about those people Sure. because the truth is that the direction that they've moved in is not in their interest. So we have to do everything we can to help them understand that their interests don't lie there. Their interests also don't lie with the neoliberals. Right and that's why we have to be sure that the person who runs our country next is yeah. not a neoliberal mm-hmm. not just not a republican trump type person but not a neoliberal someone who really cares about these people and cares about the value of work not just silicon valley work right right but but labor
0: yeah sure labor yeah
1: we can create jobs for everybody sure but yeah. you have to be committed to it. And, 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 and I get into a lot of arguments with my liberal friends, progressive yeah. friends, because they say, no, we have to spend all our time with the low-hanging fruit, the natural base of the Democratic Party, women and people of color. Yeah. We can't be spending time and money going after people who voted for Trump. Right. And I don't agree with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I. It's heartbreaking the kind of lines that are drawn now, and I, the people that I've talked to, who lived through Nixon. I mean, there there's two kinds that say like, well, it you know it was worse, but it, it, no, it then but it doesn't no, seem like no, it.
1: it's not worse. And I'll tell you what gets left out of this until very very like last week. Yeah, here's why it's well. There's never been an existential threat to our democracy like right. there is right now because of the nature of Donald Trump as a human being yeah. and who he has surrounded himself yeah. with. But the bigger existential threat that would exist, you know, even without Donald Trump, is climate. Sure, this we've never had a ticking time bomb. I know, overarching every single thing that we do. Yeah, that's never existed before. It didn't exist during the Nixon time. Yeah. And that's a reality. It is, and you know, so people can poo-poo the green, the green New Deal, but but something like that has to happen.
0: Yeah, I mean, at the core of what you're talking about in, in, in being a, f- a full stomach person and being somebody who <laughs> who has love and empathy and all that is that you know there that the way that hopelessness has has somehow turned to nihilism. You know in the hearts of people that have given up uh y- you know any sort of future in a way and they just want to burn it all down yeah now you know there are there are there are, there are, there are, there are 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 Christian fanatics who are ready for the big burn for the
1: yeah end days yeah. right
0: and and and, and, and yeah, but
1: no i I once had a boyfriend that was so unhappy and messed up and wounded that he liked war right because that he didn't feel alone I mean that that is a reality but you know i have spent time i have canvassed in san diego i have canvassed in 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 the in the central valley yeah in bakersfield and talked to people who are were trump supporters sure and i have friends that have done that and they can they can be made to think differently yeah
0: if you talk to them as people Nobody
1: has been talking to them, but the the politicians that talk to them and the human beings and the canvassers who talk to them without sunglasses on, looking them in the eye and saying, what matters to you and why? Right. Okay, what are we going to do about it? And you don't ever criticize Trump and you don't ever criticize Fox News. You simply tell them something they don't know.
0: Yeah no that's yeah and 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 they can hear it and it goes in and
1: then you stay in touch and you explain this is really hard now and the only way we're going to do it is strength and numbers and guess what your neighbor gets it yeah and i've signed up 15 people right in this neighborhood yeah and we're going to stay in touch with you
0: yeah and you do that and we do yeah so how do you like it's how, do, how have you for for all this time been able to separate, you know to kind of like you know, choose how you 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 know how do you balance the you know the acting and you know the activism and the family I mean you just Well
1: my kids my family's grown up. Yeah, right. And my grandkids are growing up. Yeah, oh, yeah. And uh
0: I had your brother on I'm not show.
1: very good at balancing. I yeah. was not a very good parent because yeah. I didn't know how to balance well enough although my kids are just fine. Yeah. Um but you know now there's just me (laughs) yeah and and um and i work to earn money to do the the stuff because you know i'm i'm gonna be dead soon but uh i just i just i've learned a lot i've learned so much from tom hayden yeah about the importance of talking to people sure and work on the ground yeah so I look for the organizations that have the best track record yeah. of doing on-the-ground work, front-door conversations. Yeah. yeah. And and
0: in terms of, like, you know, the art, like, because you, you still love to act, you know? I'm having
1: a blast with Grace and Frankie. <laughs>
0: Cuz that seems to be like also the interesting thing is that uh, uh, aside from, you know, the, you know major activism that got you into, you know, the the crosshairs of Nixon in a very personal way. And you know, in dealing with that pressure, that when you show up on screen, I mean, I can tell and unless I'm stupid, you you it you love doing that. I do. And you know, like on 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 some other level as a person, not along you know along with Tom Hayden, but you work with you know Pollock twice, you work with Otto Preminger, you work with Ashby, you work with all these men. Fred Zinnemann. Fred Zinneman. even like George Cooper, was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and he was like he he was an old studio guy, right? So mm-hmm. you actually saw those guys try to adapt to the new thing. Mm-hmm. Now, like when you look back on all that experience and your nature of boundary. Did you find most of those to be learning experiences with these directors? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah? Yeah. No, I feel really lucky that I had all those experiences. They were great directors. Pollock seemed like an amazing guy to me. He was. He was an amazing guy. Zinneman, what a brilliant director.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And, you know, I mean, that's what's so fun about acting. Yeah. Every single, di- these each individual of these, they're all guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But if they were women, it would be the same thing. They all call upon different muscles in your psyche as an actor. So, you know, it's just a challenge to to kind of (laughs) create that marriage between you and the guy. But you see, because it's a limited, there's a limited time frame, then the whole dynamic is very different than it is in a marriage <laughs> sure. or an affair right, right.
0: You're, this is going to be over in six months yeah right <laughs> yeah by, by necessity or well, nowadays like, a month a month right yeah. they shoot out quick a month. right
1: yeah and, and your, how's your relationship with Robert Redford I admire him very very much I think what he has done with Sundance is just is just extraordinary uh huh yeah
0: okay yeah and uh, like what, what about people like um, Donald Sutherland
1: oh god I haven't seen him oh really I haven't I don't. I mean, I'd love to work with him again. I haven't seen him in years. Yeah, in years.
0: It's it's so weird. For some reason, like w- with the, your generation of actors, I, I just assumed everyone sort of hung out together. <laughs> No. <laughs> you don't. You know, it's a No, business. Lily
1: and I hang out together. Yeah. And um, my co-stars from book club, Candy Bergen, Diane Keaton, and Mary Steenburgen and I. I talk
0: to Mary. I love her.
1: I love that woman. Oh, my God. She's just magic.
0: Yeah. I just love her deeply. Very full stomach in terms of the love <sighs> yes. and the spirituality. Yes.
1: And... She is the real deal. Yeah. I had no idea. I'm so grateful to have had the opportunity to make that movie and get to know her.
0: In 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 terms of like you know Hollywood and in terms of uh, this dynamic and, and feminism and patriarchy and, and having been in the business as long as you've been, how, how what is your feelings about uh, you know obviously the Me, the Me Too movement is necessary, but you know where where do you fit you find yourself in in that discussion?
1: In the Me Too, Times Up discussion, yeah. well. Um, m- m- my activism in that regard yeah. goes toward the farm workers the domestic workers and the restaurant workers uh-huh. and I've been to Washington to lobby with them on things like um, doing and in Sacramento doing yeah. away with statute of limitations mm-hmm. um, doing away with forced arbitration not doing away with arbitration but make it a choice yeah um, but then there's the financial stuff doing you know, overtime and and equal pay and things like that because when you know the the fact that restaurant workers in seven states including california get one fair wage whatever other workers are getting minimum wage that's what they get plus tips they keep their tips and in those seven states sexual harassment is cut in half which shows that there's a relationship between what a woman earns and how a man treats her yeah and so you know the people that are the worst treated are the farm workers, domestic workers, and restaurant workers. Sure, the women. And so yeah. that's where I put my time.
0: Yeah. Well, what about show business? I mean, you've been in it long enough. You've been with, around enough of these type of uh, of powerful men. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean,
1: other people are doing that, yeah, and and I never had any experiences, probably because my father was Henry Fonda, right? Or maybe I don't know, I wasn't <laughs> sexy enough or something, but I never had. I don't know if you did go had, there. I never had that.
0: Yeah. experience. I had your brother over here. Do you talk to him? Um, we
1: email a lot.
0: Yeah, he was. He's like he's an interesting guy,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and and you guys, do you do you find when you think about yourself and about what you both grew up with that you know how you both. You know, handled it. Uh, it, it it's interesting that he, he, you know when I talk to him, like he he spends a lot of time trying to wrap his brain around his trauma, and uh, and and you know, and it, it's an active fight for him. You know, even at this age. Do um, do you do you, it, it, do you find it in, interesting the the way you both handled it, in the sense that you handled it very differently? Do you do you help each other at all? Do you lean on each other at all?
1: Not as much as we should.
0: Mm yeah
1: um we have handled it differently, yeah um, see i th- I think I've always felt that the child that is the same gender as the parent, yeah has a harder time. Mm-hmm. i think it I think it my father was harder on my brother, yeah, than he was on me and and i I think Peter suffered a lot. Yeah. He suffered a lot. And I'm just not sure that he's gotten the kind of help that I have.
0: Right. Because you, it seems like that your pursuit of social justice and your pursuit of authenticity, you know, was, you know, of primary importance, you know, to to sort of resolve, you know, your stuff.
1: Right. And I'm not a pothead and I, I don't do drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Don't go
0: for that relief.
1: I go, I use pot to go to sleep. Yeah work, and it turns out Peter does too. It does work. Yeah, and it's a whole lot better for you than Valium or Ambien or all that other stuff. Yeah, I found
0: it very touching in the doc that you, you know the two things you, you know you going back to visit Ted Turner, and uh, and, and we're it, very close. Yeah, it was it's a very sweet thing.
1: I I stayed close to my three husbands. Yeah. I was with Tom when he died. Mm-hmm. I saw Vadim in the hospital before yeah. he died.
0: Yeah, that's a, you know, that's amazing.
1: Well, you have to. I think there's about two years where, if you're smart, you write all the hate, <laughs> you write the letters. Yeah, and but you don't send them. Right. So you get it out. And starting at about four or five years, you begin to realize I was equally at fault, mm-hmm. or almost as equally. Sure. And um, or. I made a mistake, and the guy's really sick. That wasn't the case with me, but yeah. Um, and and then you think there were reasons that I loved him, mm-hmm. and so I have to stick with those. And then if you've had children with them, I was always afraid that if I didn't invite the ex-husbands to spend Christmas with me, yeah, that my kids would choose to go with him and not me. So, <laughs> so Vadim <laughs> yeah. would come to Christmas with me and Tom. Yeah, and Tom would come to events with Ted, Yeah, and, uh, you know, and uh, Vadim met Ted, uh-huh. and I just brought them all along. They're so, they're, they're really kind of so different in terms And of so of alike. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah they, I thought they were so different. <laughs> yeah. None of these guys are like my dad at all. Yeah. Whoops! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, see, here's the thing, you yeah. see. They're all addicts. Yeah. So, of course, they're perfect for me.
0: Yeah, right. You know,
1: if you're an addict, you don't want to, you know, I'm sure that the perfect man for me has come along. Yeah. And looked me in the eye and said, come on, show up, Fonda. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I ran away scared. Yeah. It's, that's. So I picked instead three absolutely riveting, fascinating, brilliant men. Yeah. None of whom were able to say, "Come on, Fonda, show up."
0: Right. Well, because they were like, <laughs> "How were they addicts? They were workaholics or you drinking, know, yeah, drugs, uh-huh,
1: drinking." In most cases, yeah. Yeah,
0: and and you know, it seemed like you know, it's very clear, like you know, how Hayden had an influence on you in terms of you know, once you you know, the things you learned to to move your own agenda forward. What was it that you really gleaned from from Ted as a as a person? Oh
1: my God. Ted is a genius. He really he really he is. Yeah. Very wounded genius, but a, a a genius his You know, I'm I'm micro.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And he's macro. Yeah, yeah. And for me to experience that and learn from him the macro realities. Right, was just invaluable, also extremely practical. You know, wh- he was once the greatest sailor in the world, he won the America's Cup, and this was before computers. This yeah. is when you did it with your own brain and brawn.
0: Yeah,
1: and to be a great sailor, you have to be the kind of person who forgets nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't be. 50 miles out at sea and think, oh shit, I forgot the, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So he was very meticulous. He paid a lot of attention to detail and he was always on time. Mm. And I learned the value, w- I'm kind of that way anyway, but yeah. I really learned the value of that. Sure. He brought me so much. One of the things that he brought me. Because he had been so abused as a child Mm. by his father. I mean, just terrible. Yeah. Um, At the age when the boy is most vulnerable at five and stuff, he needed me. Yeah. He needed me, and he wasn't afraid (laughs) to let me know. And I was the one who was grounded.
0: Yeah.
1: I could bring him stability. That was new for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that felt that felt and
1: it gave me tremendous confidence, and it it sort of fleshed out that part of me yeah. that was responsible for bringing stability
0: and being able and, to nurture a bit.
1: Yeah, I think you know he learned, even though I, I was not a good parent, but yeah. he learned. I had a lot of step parents, yeah, and he, so I knew how to be a step parent, mm-hmm. and I think he watched me with his children, and mm. I think he learned to be a parent.
0: Oh, that's nice. Yeah,
1: and he's a good parent.
0: And the other thing that I thought was amazing, you, you know, was you know when you went to 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 visit your mother's grave, you know, after you know, it took you a long time, huh, to 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 be able to do that. And w- were you able to to forgive yourself and forgive her?
1: Oh, I I forgave her when I was writing my memoirs. Yeah. I found out things about her childhood. Yeah. Um, that allowed me. It was like, oh, my God. Yeah. I always knew that something terrible had happened to her because she was not normal. Yeah. Um, But I just didn't know what it was. And when I found out, I, I was able to totally forgive her. Yeah. And... I became the mother. I just wanted to, you know, she was dead. She killed herself when she was forty-two. I wanted to just hold her in my arms and rock her and cradle her, and and I was able to forgive everything. And um, but I wanted to go to her grave with Peter, my brother. Yeah. And it just didn't work out. Yeah. So, for the benefit of the documentary, I went on my own. Has he been? No. Hmm. But we'll probably go together.
0: Oh, that's nice. And what you, Now, you talk about spirituality, and we can kind of move towards the end here. Your father was an atheist?
1: Well, his parents were Christian science, and uh, I think that that embedded itself somewhere in his DNA. Yeah. But he called himself an agnostic. Right. And uh, criticized me whenever I would go to church.
0: Oh, yeah. So he was really kind of... Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and now you you seem to be a very spiritually driven person. I am. I am. In, in what form is it?
1: I study the Bible, yeah. I study the life of Christ. I read the Gnostic gospels uh-huh. i um, I have actually enrolled in the interdenominational seminary in Atlanta. yeah, I was the only white person there it's where, it's where black ministers are trained yeah and um, I believe in historical Christ, yeah, and historical Buddha, yeah, and historical Allah uhhuh and I think these were real people uh-huh. who were tuned in. I think there were women as well. I think Mary was his favorite disciple. And if you read the Gnostic Gospels, that's proven true. Mm -hmm. So I think there were some women that were tuned in too. And when I say tuned in, I meant, I mean, they understood that we're made of the molecules of stars, Uh that we are part of everything, that there is something greater than us yeah and that we must be humble before that right and that we must with every ounce of our being try to be aspire to goodness and greatness that we have to try to make our lives for me it's something that would have made jesus proud you know because of my culture Jesus is the person that I identify with and relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, I study; I have studied Buddhism as well, yeah. and I meditate. But Jesus is my guy, and um, I often think, "What would Jesus do?" Sure. And but there's a whole lot of that's in there that I don't. You know, I think the Bible is, is a metaphor. Sure. A very beautiful metaphor. Yeah. Um,
0: and it's okay not to have boundaries with Jesus.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just find it I just find it utterly fascinating. Yeah. If only I could go back to that time, I would love to experience that. Yeah. That, you know, when you know Jesus had women performing the Eucharist. Women more than anybody supported Jesus. He loved women. He supported women. He was a feminist. Charismatic fella. He had charisma like all those guys did. Yeah. And the women just got forgot along the way. But there were women like that too, sure. I think. And, and it has to do with... And, you know, that's why it, this all kind of came together for me around the same time when I stopped being a food addict, and when I got filled up yeah. in my solar plexus yeah. was this understanding of being part of something greater than myself. Yeah. I didn't need to binge yeah. anymore. Yeah. And it just it changed me. Yeah. It did. and uh, And that's when I suddenly, you know, I've known so many alcoholics, Jason Robards, for example. Oh, yeah. I'll never forget. We made a movie called Comes a Horseman Together. Yeah. And he was sober by then. And he told me about hitting bottom. Mm-hmm. And he told me about a higher power. Yeah. And I, I remember thinking, what a lot of BS. Right. Higher power. Come yeah. on. I was talking like my father. Right. You know what I mean? Sure. It's like, blah, blah. Yeah. Suddenly I realized, oh, my God. Huh. That's what that means. My solar plexus have been filled with spirit.
0: Yeah. Yeah that chakra the middle chakra yeah hmm. i got it oh wow and, and i
1: know why it's so hard for so many people especially guys because to receive that you have to humble yourself profoundly yeah it's very hard for a lot of people to do that
0: sure they want control i mean that's what you know eating disorders all about and addictions all about sure. yeah
1: and um so you know that's I don't talk about my feelings about Jesus and yeah. about all of this very much because right. it was very hard when I lived in Georgia because if I don't if I don't hew to the every word is you know tr- tr- true, true right. and all of that yeah you'd be cast out uh-huh. you know people would get very very upset yeah um,
0: but you have personal relationship and a personal yeah. understanding and that's what's important yeah and you're doing great work for all of the things you do and uh you know showing up in uh, north dakota was amazing see
1: and, when you have yeah when you're yeah. full yeah. with yeah. that yes you can go forth in the world yeah and nothing can hurt you mm. nothing can hurt you
0: right that's that's beautiful
1: it Thank, is it I is it i really feel is. very very blessed
0: and I and I and I feel very honored that you talked to me today.
1: I feel honored that you asked.
0: And uh, I'm I'm thrilled with the, the success of Grace and Frankie. And uh, if if you want to tell Lily to come over, I'm I'm more than happy to have her. <laughs> Great. <Yeah. laughs> and I'm uh, about
1: to go see her. <laughs>
0: okay. Well, um well, really thank you so much, Jane. It's a pleasure. Wow, what a treat. Really, I really love talking to her I did that was Jane Fonda and all five seasons of Jane's series with Lily Tomlin Grace and Frankie are now streaming on Netflix you know they got the uh, the uh, they've been renewed for an, another season but you can catch up on the early ones now now I'm going to mindfully play some guitar at a lower volume less distorted but still with the bounce still with the echoplex pedal I'm using the Gold Top, for those of you who ask questions, the uh, Les Paul Deluxe, through the Echoplex, through the 1957 Fender Deluxe Amp, that's been completely cleaned up. That that was just information for guitar nerds.